Welcome to the Arrive podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law podcast for Canadians. Today we are going to be answering several different questions about TN visas, TN visa status, especially or specifically for Canadians, and some questions that we receive on a regular basis about TN visas. Questions that aren't, uh, you know, the the do I qualify questions. These are questions that people ask when they're in the process. And some of these questions can determine whether or not you do qualify, but it's more procedural things with a TN visa. Uh, For example, first question we're going to hit today is how long will my TN visa be valid? Well, you can ask for a maximum of five, or sorry, three years. (laughs) (laughs) New regulation, five years. Yeah. (laughs) Three years. So you can ask for one day up to three years max. Right. So you can get a TN for one day if you want to. That's an expensive, yeah, hopefully it's worth (laughs) it. But one day, maximum of three years. And it's renewable indefinitely, right? You can keep renewing TNs until you die. Right. There's no want. limit on the amount of times you you can ha- the amount of time you can spend in the U.S. on a TN. As long as you maintain that intent to return to your home country at the end, they'll keep you let they'll let you keep renewing that indefinitely, changing jobs, getting new jobs uh, for your TN. Now, when you do apply, however. There are several things that that border officer reviewing your application is going to take into account before they issue that visa in determining the longevity, how long that visa is going to be issued for. One of the main things they use, and the the top one, probably the most common, is your offer letter or your support letter that you have from your U.S. employer. So, So how long does your employer need you for? It must be a definitive time period. Mm-hmm. So they they can't just say, hey, we need John Doe to come in the United States as a computer engineer. Give him a TN. Yeah, and we see, I mean, we see sometimes where employers don't like putting a time period on the support letter. It forms a contract. Because they say, oh, this is, yeah, it forms some kind of contract. Or they say, no, no, this is an in- indefinite employment. There's no end date. Um, so we don't want to put an end date in here. Yes. But it's one of the requirements. And why? Because this is not this, what you're presenting at the port of entry, it, it's not a contract. It's This is specifically for visa application purposes only. That's why they need it. The border officer needs to know, hey, you can get up to three years here. We need to know how long you need it for, however. So your employer has to specifically state we need them for to start on J- July 1st, 2020, all the way until June 30th, 2023. Then they have a definitive time period of three years they can issue the visa for. So there has to be a specific time period within one day, max three years, that's defined on that support or offer letter. That's one way they'll determine how long your visa is valid for. Another common one we see is contract length. So if you're coming into the United States to service a specific contract, then that could be the term of your TN visa. So, for example, you're coming in, maybe you're a consultant, and you have a contract in the United States to provide consulting services to your client for three months. Well, if you have a three-month contract, your TN visa is going to be for the duration of that contract. Again, 
open-ended contracts, just like a support letter or offer letter, it can't be open-ended. You need to, it needs to have a, term a specific yeah. term, end date. So, and there are a lot of contracts that it says renewable monthly. That doesn't work. Uh, or if it's in the past, it expired and then it has that renewable monthly clause. Well, they need proof that it's actually been extended. And when has it been extended to? Yeah. Or we see sometimes where employers will want to send somebody on a contract or bring someone in on a contract and the contract's set to expire in the next couple months. And they were like, well, we don't just won't need it. We're going to renew this contract. Well, let's apply for the TN with the renewed contract then. Let's not apply with the the one that's set to expire in the next couple of months because they won't be able to issue the visa for any longer. And you'll have to go back and reapply right. to get it extended. So contract length. It, it, and the contract can be longer than three years. If you have a five-year contract, well, great. They, they'll only issue a three-year TN and you can go back. And you get the maximum. Three on years and you can get two mm -hmm. more years on that on that contract uh, for the, the TN to service that contract. Uh, so you will get the max. Uh, they can't issue it beyond three years, though. They can issue it for less, again, de depending on the length of the contract. And sometimes border officers, um, you know, they'll they'll draw their own conclusions too. So you may ask for the full three years, um, but you may not get it in your certain circumstance. They make make a determination, you know, after talking with you and maybe even calling your employer, that you really only need, you know, they're only going to give you a year. They're only going to give you two years, even though you asked for the full three. So that happens too. That's a very good point. And it, hap it happens most commonly, I would say, with management consultants. Yes. Uh, just because you're asking for three years as a management, you can ask for three years, doesn't mean they have to give it to you. They could say, well, we only think you need a year to get this done, so we're going to give you a year. Uh, so that ha that does happen. That's a good point. Just because you're asking for a term doesn't mean they have to give it to you. Right. Uh, it's at the officer's discretion to issue it for whatever uh, time period they think you, you've justified. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is your passport. They cannot issue your TN visa status for longer than your passport validity. Meaning, if you apply for a three-year TN visa and you have all the supporting documents to support that, well, they can approve you in the system for three years, but if your passport's only two years, they can only stamp you for two years. They can't stamp you beyond the expiration of your passport. Well, what happens in that case? Well, they'll approve you for the entire three-year time period. They'll stamp you for two years. Then when you get a new passport, you renew your passport, you simply return to a port of entry, and they will stamp you for another year, the remaining one-year time period. You don't have to reapply. It'll say in the system that they approved you for three years and that you have a year left, and you simply return with a, with a passport that's beyond the date, and they will then stamp you for the remaining time period. And so all, all things to keep in mind when you're applying for a TN and how they determine the, the length or the validity of your TN visa. Next, and when you go to a port of entry, you are seeking entry into the United States. You're applying. You're an applicant for admission to the United States. And oftentimes people will ask, uh, can I withdraw my application for admission to the United States? We have people also ask, hey, I just want to go to the border to find out whether I'm qualified. Oh, get yeah. That question. Mm -hmm. I just want to go. I'm not applying. I want to go talk to the border officers yeah, I wanna, and just see. That's very dangerous. Think. Yeah. Because <laughs> anytime you seek admission to the United States, you're making an application whether you believe it or not. 
And you some people you can't just turn some people, around. Well, some people seek admission accidentally. So how many times have you heard that? Oh, I was dry. <laughs> I, I was in Niagara turn. Falls, and I took a wrong turn, and I ended up on the bridge. And uh, you know, you're on the bridge to the United States, and they're not going to just say, "Oh, yeah, okay, you can turn around right here." If you've hit the the booth, <laughs> it's too late to turn around, um, and now you're seeking admission to the United States. It, yes, it happens all the time. You know, work, when I worked at USCIS in the in the chief counsel's office, there were some great cases that 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 we saw people showing up in Canada inadvertently with firearms in their vehicle. Not yeah. a good idea. Uh, and cr- some crazy just, stories. They just don't have the right identification the right with them. Identification, or perhaps with the new legalization of drugs, they've got something in their car that they shouldn't you know, that they wouldn't normally have if they were intending to cross the border. The point here, you can't just show up at a, at the border and start asking the border officer questions about coming to the U.S. Once you're there, you are seeking admission. There's no turning around. You can't go back. Um, so the question is, can you withdraw your application? Well, according according to CBP, and there's a memo that they issued on this back in 2015 where they address your right to withdraw is what they call it. You have no right to withdraw your application. You cannot, in the middle of your the questioning or your application for a TN visa, for an L1 visa, uh, whatever it might be, even as a visitor, you cannot all of a sudden say, you know what, I changed I'm, my yeah, mind. I'm going, back, I'm going back. Forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. The border officers <clears throat> has the discretion to either let you withdraw or to proceed. And proceeding could mean you could get a bar for admission to the United States if they think that you are lying or fraud- trying to fraudulently enter the United States. It could mean a denial uh, on your record because uh, you didn't qualify for a certain status. There are several adverse consequences for applying for admission to the United States when you do not qualify. So it's very important to understand when you seek admission for any reason to the United States as a visitor, as a worker, whatever, as an immigrant, whatever it might be, once you seek admission to the United States, there's no turning around. Yeah, you certainly don't want to, and we've seen, I mean, we get calls for the, from this every day where somebody just went to the border to apply for their TN. There's no trial run for this. Yes, you know, there's your, no trial run. Your, your first oh. shot is your best shot at making an application, so you want to make sure it's done right the first time. Um, anytime you take a trial run at it or you get denied, that's, this is on your record. And it's going to impact your ability to get status in the future. Um, and it couldn't even impact your ability to travel to the United States as a visitor. So, you know, it's really important to make sure your first shot is your best shot. And even if the officer allows you to withdraw and they say, you know what, we're, we're going to allow you to withdraw your application mm-hmm. at this time and you can come back later. Oh, yeah. Sometimes they even say, oh, just come back with this document. Just come back and, and we'll be able to approve you then. Be careful because mm-hmm. guess what? Even with a withdrawal, they note that in the system. It creates a record. They know you were there. They know what you were doing and they know the reason why you withdrew or they put a reason as to why you withdrew. Yeah, one, they're one not going to tell you what that is either. I, well, and, and sometimes they do tell you. Sometimes they'll say, you know, these duties don't line up with. Uh, they tell you that. And then they these also These duties add some don't line comments. up with what an engineer, we yeah. think an engineer should be doing. So, you know, 
you got to come back with some better duties. These duties aren't very good. So you go back to your employer and you say, hey, you know what? They didn't like these duties. Can you rework them and and send me back with a new list of duties? So your employer goes, oh, yeah, fixes them all up, makes them look more like what an engineer would be doing, sends you back to the border. And now the border officer is wondering whether you were lying before or you're lying now because you've got two completely sets of duties for the same position with the same employer. So you're, or they completely change the position, right? Oh yeah. The officer says, oh, they oh, give you a whole different position. You're applying as a computer systems analyst. You don't qualify. Oh yeah. And then your employer <laughs> says, oh no, just go, go. How about you just go apply as a IT consultant now? And then you yeah. return and apply as a consultant. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Because you've already same you've employer. Already, the record has already been set. You've already established certain facts. Yeah. And it you you cannot change certain facts. Um, can you can you fix a deficient application? Yes, you can. You can take an application that was just deficient for whatever reason it might be. Maybe the support letter was written wrong, or you mm-hmm. didn't have the right supporting docs, and then return with the right stuff. Sure, but it depends on how badly it was done the first time, and and what's wrong with the first one too. Yeah. Whether or not you're going to be able to be amend it. Yeah, and you go back and you do what you just said, right? And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have a five-year bar for admission to the United States. So there's two examples that that I've run into recently on this one. One of them is um, somebody who insisted on us, on retaining us to help them with a TNV, so we turned them down. Um, And there's several reasons why. This individual had applied for a TNV in the past, applied as a computer systems analyst, when they applied as a computer systems analyst, they got approved. But then on one of their entries back to the U.S., they were questioned by CBP. And the CBP officer said, hey, you are a computer systems analyst, correct? And the individual said, yes, I am. And the officer said, well, how much programming do you do? Do you do any programming? Programming, by the way, it, it, less than 10% is the typical rule as a computer systems analyst to still qualify. Otherwise, you're a computer engineer. And the individual said, no, I don't do any programming, just computer systems work. The officer then called the employer to verify. Guess what the employer said? Oh, he's a programmer. What Uh, happened? Not good. TN visa was revoked, (coughs) but not only was the TN visa revoked, he was given fraud, a five-year or permanent bar for admission to the United States, requiring him to get a waiver to then come back to the U.S., so what do you do? He proceeded to go get a waiver. So he come back to the United States. Now approaching us uh, at this point saying, hey, this happened in the past. I got a waiver. Now I qualify for a TN. I want to come to the U.S. Had the conversation. Another job offer. Guess what the job offer is for? Computer Com- systems analyst. Computer systems <laughs> analyst. Unfortunately, this individual's credentials don't meet those for a computer systems analyst. And on top of that, um, the duties are more of a computer engineer. Mm-hmm. So what do they say? Oh, I want to apply, uh, but, but, oh, I don't qualify for that. So I'm going to be a management consultant. No, you're not. Yeah. You can say that and you can try that. But guess what? You've created a record with the border at this point. You've already done this once in the past. Mm-hmm. You already lied to him before. Now you got a waiver. Now you want to go back and lie to him again. Bad, bad scenario. Not a good idea. So, unfortunately, that's somebody we weren't able to help. Uh, another situation, and this is, goes back to your trial run one. This is one um. of my favorite things <laughs> that happened. I had um, 
a, a client wanted to do a trial, a trial run on their TN. Um, and they showed up and I forget what airport it was, but they showed up at the airport outside. Um, clearly they didn't ask you first whether they should go. No, do they this, did not. Right? <laughs> uh, and they just showed up at the, at the airport and they were all frantic saying we went, we tried to do a trial run and the office was closed and <laughs> you're not telling us the right procedure. You know, what's wrong here anyway, jumped on the call with them and their employer and, and determined that this individual, I don't even know where they went to some office at the airport, but to apply at the airport, you have to have a boarding pass. You have to go through security and then you're inspected you can't just show up <laughs> at, at the, the airport. airport and have them look at your documents. The same applies at a port of entry. You can't do that. At the port of entry is actually more dangerous because at the airport, you actually have to go through inspection and get in before you get to the CBP officer who's going to do right. pre-flight inspection at the border. If you're just showing up, again, you're already applying at that point. It's too late. Yeah. They're not just going, you can't just say, hey, do I qualify or not? They're making a determination on that spot. So be careful. Um, you have no right to withdraw your application at the port of entry. Uh, next question. And this is a good one. We get this one a lot too. Uh, can I be a manager or a supervisor on a TN visa? Ta-da. Uh, <laughs> so the answer is depends. Depends on the situation. Now, I think we can first talk about what you can't do on a TN that falls under manager or supervisor. For example, management consultant. A manager consultant is Isn't, not a manager. Yeah, it's not a manager. That's not what that means. A lot of people think it is, though. Yeah, they think they, any management position, they should be management consultant. Oh, I'm a manager. Can't I just apply under the management consultant category? I'm a project manager. Project manager. Yeah, vice president, CEO. These are managers. Isn't that a management consultant? No, it is not. Management consultant is an actual profession. Uh, it's not a title. It's not a role. It's a profession. Uh, either you are an independent consultant or you work for a consulting company and you work as a consultant. Uh, there are large billion-dollar corporations uh, that do this, and all they are is consulting companies. Uh, but your title is a management consultant. You're not a manager and you are not a supervisor. Um, one of the red flags that we see is when an individual will come to us and they say, I have a job offer and the job offer is director of sales. That's clearly a manager level or supervisory level position. Mm -hmm. If you are a director of sales, that does not fall under any TN profession. And it, it'd be very hard to argue that it does. Right. Why? Because you're managing the sales marketing um, of an organization. That sales and marketing doesn't fall under. And neither of those are on the list. Not a TN profession. However, let's say in the example that they give, and I, you know, I'm just going to read the example because there's no better way to explain explain it than they do in the regulation. Right. So there is some managing that's allowed while you're on a TN. There is. It's very specific, right? So the example they give is of, of an architect and an architectural manager, somebody managing other architects, which requires 
an architectural license or degree to do it. And it's a professional level, uh, professional level position. You are managing other architects. So it requires the education training license of an architect to do it. The same could apply to an engineer. You're managing other engineers, and it requires you to have the education training and possibly license of an engineer to do that work. And what they say is as long as you're doing that and um, you are assessing the work of other architects, you're assessing the work of other engineers, if you're a lawyer, assessing the work of other lawyers, well, that does require the license or education training of those professions in order to do it. The same could apply to an accountant, um, all of these professions. That's You have to have that license and that training to then review the work of others uh, in that field. Mm-hmm. And this but would is, this, I mean, th- then the question becomes, right, would this include, so say you're an engineer and you're the director of operations. I don't think that would work. I'm you know, because you're going to be supervising more than just engineers if you're running the operations of the business, um, even though you will be, you know, overseeing maybe, you know, certain engineers that will be it's no longer your primary. You. Yeah, it's no yeah, longer it's not your, your primary, primary right. responsibility. Engineering isn't your primary responsibility. It's operations now. And that leads into what it says here. Uh, and it says if the supervisory position is more administrative in nature, in other words, ensuring compliance with company regulations and policies, this would not likely require the professional credentialing to be successful. In other words, anybody can really hold that position once you get to that point. It doesn't require an engineer uh, to do it. Right. You don't need an engineering degree to manage operations. To to manage operations. You could have a business degree. Yeah. Manage compliance with regulations and policies. You don't need professional credentials necessarily to do that. Um, So in that case, you may, it may be a position that does not qualify uh, for a TN visa. So be careful. If you have a job offer and it's of a managerial or supervisory mm-hmm. level, it may still qualify for a TN visa. Um, I just had one recently. The individual was a uh, computer systems analyst managing other computer systems analysts. Well, I mean, we see, we see this a lot too where people will – they think it's um, better to actually go with a higher, you know, title or higher level duties than it is to go with, you know, your basic accounting duties. Oh, no, I'm the CFO. And they apply as the CFO instead of as an accountant, um, you know, and their duties may be very accounting, you know, oriented and their supervisory position may be over other accountants, but they think calling themselves the CFO or calling themselves a higher level position is going to get them, you know, better service with the TN, a better chance of approval, but it's just not the case. So you have to be very, yeah, right. You have to be very careful. Most of the time, Mm -hmm. because the officer sees a a title. First of all, titles are not professions. It's a title. It's a job title. It's not a profession. And specifically, it's not a TN profession. So when an officer's looking at an application, they have to approve you under one of the 63 professions that are listed. So if you come with some crazy title that's not on the list, you're putting an obstacle in their way, number one. They have to now determine what this title means. What profession is it really? Mm -hmm. Also, like you said, if it has a manager in the title or it's clearly a manager level title, that's immediate red flag. And some officers will see that. And they'll just throw your application to the side right away and deny you. They won't even they won't even look into the facts. They won't even look at your duties 
because uh, to them, when they see certain titles, it's not approvable. Right. And that one example I had was an accountant of a small group of hotels. And when you looked at the duties on their face, they were all accounting duties. This guy was, you know, bookkeeper accountant for a group of hotels. Yeah. But he wanted to call himself the CFO and he knew the owner and they were like, yeah, you can be the CFO. Um, he wasn't doing CFO duties. Uh, it's, you know, it was very clearly an accountant. So we were able to make the correction for him and get him back to the border. But it was it was tough. Uh, he didn't seem to understand. He was very set on this this title being very important to who he was. <laughs> Once you get your TN, you call yourself whatever you want, right? <laughs> well, but when you're not applying, necessarily true either, right? Well, <laughs> you know what I mean by by internal titles. Yeah, companies have crazy internal titles. It doesn't necessarily do. mean that's what you're doing, right? right? It's your duties that define your profession, and what we what we try to do with with our clients is line up your duties to the profession, and then we advise to apply under the profession, uh, not a job title, uh, because job titles can be deceiving. And, can yeah. cause and, the, and the reason I said you shouldn't call yourself whatever you want is because I just recently <laughs> oh, had another, had. Si- yeah, yeah, another situation idea. where somebody was approved in a certain category, um, and then their spouse went to the border to make their application. They said, oh, well, what's, what does your wife do? You know, what's her occupation and um, must have tipped off the border officer that maybe this wasn't the right category. Um, and they checked the LinkedIn, which contradicted was contra- profession. Right. It wasn't in line with the TN profession yeah. that was applied for and that the employer had had told us was the profession. So, um, you know, and they actually revoked, the revoked TN, yeah. that TN. Yeah. Um, she was lucky that she didn't get misrepresentation in a bar. Exactly, just like the other mm-hmm. example I gave, they could have they could have barred her. They could have, but instead they just revoked the TN and said, "You're not working in the correct profession." She got lucky. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> lucky and not so lucky at well, the same time. Right? <laughs> yeah, but that's just a good point. Make sure your LinkedIn, you know, and social your media, social media yeah. matches up with your TN profession, because otherwise it, it doesn't make sense. Yep. And websites and business cards, all that need need it to line up. Leads to questions if, you, yeah. if it doesn't. It, when it doesn't, there's again. You made this point earlier. Are you lying then? Or are you lying now? Right. right. And that's a lot of what a border officer's job is to find the truth. <clears throat> uh, and if you notice in in these adjudications, they start with easy questions that they know the answers to. What's your name? What's your birth date? Where were you born? Have you ever worked in the U.S. before? Have you ever lived in the U.S. before? Have you ever been denied entry? They know the answers to all those questions. So why are they asking you? Because those they know the answers, and that's their test to see whether or not you're going to tell the truth the rest of the way. Uh, and the best one is, have you ever been arrested? Oh, no, never been arrested. <laughs> ever? Never. Oh, what about this time when you were 18 years old? Okay, you were arrested. But <laughs> the point is, is they ask those questions to find the truth, to get get a feeling for how honest you're going to be with them. And then, it, you know, if you notice in a lot of these adjudications that they start, they start really firm, but towards the end when they find out who you are, what you're doing, and it's all legitimate, then they tend to ease up at the end of it. And that's, that's just part of their job. So finding the truth. So uh, if you if they find you not telling the truth, that's a big problem. Uh, and you could be barred from entry to the United States. So in the proper scenario, you can work in the United States as a manager or supervisor. Uh, be careful, though, uh, because uh, if it's not done correctly, you could get denied just on the basis of a title you put on an application. 
what about traveling on your TN visa? Now your TN visa has been issued. Can you travel? If you can, how much can you travel? Question we receive all the time. Um, and the TN visa is a multiple entry visa. A multiple entry visa means that you can come and go outside of the United States as much as you need. Right. And we have some clients that literally live in Canada and travel to the United States every single workday on their TN visa. And, you know, we often get the question, how little can I travel on my TN? Maybe you're living in Canada and your employer only needs you to come in once a year. Or once a month. You know, for an assessment or once a month or, you know, it's kind of open-ended, but you will need to be there, but you just don't know specifically what dates yet when you're applying. Can you get a TN for that situation? So, um, you know, the answer is yes. And in all of those scenarios, you can travel as much or as little as you need to, um, but, but you got to, you know, do it correctly. Make sure you have all your proper information with you. And, uh, you know, that's that's an important thing to like make sure that your travel isn't going to be impeded throughout having your TN, especially if you're going to be uh, intermittently in the United States. Yeah. And you need to be careful in certain scenarios, because if you have spent a long time outside of the United States, they could verify mm-hmm. whether or not you're still working. Right. Um you know, if you've been several months outside the U.S., they could question, well, if you work for a U.S. employer, why has it been six months since you've been there? And they could call the employer to verify that you're still working there, you know, verify the terms. Um, so it, it can raise a concern the longer you've been outside the U.S. But management consultants, for example, you know, we have clients who they only need their their visa to come in for a week, a year, maybe. Yeah. Uh, and they do most of their, you know, paperwork or whatever it is that they do from home. Yeah. And in this world of remote work these days, it's a very common scenario where you have somebody working in Canada for the majority of the time and they're only coming into the U.S. once in a while to go to a client site or meeting with their employer. And the opposite applies as well. If you're primarily working inside the United States and you need to leave the United States for meetings, whatever it might be, and come back, you can do that as well. Mm -hmm. So, travel both ways as much as as much or as little as needed. Yeah, um, we should mention that it can't be a fully remote position. Correct. On which you get a TN. So if the if the position then, is fully remote yeah. and there's no requirement that you be in the United States for any part of the job, um, there there's no reason why an officer should issue you a visa to come into the United States. So you got to be careful with that too. Yeah, and I had a situation recently where this company was trying to get their their employee just wanted to come to the U.S. is what it was. They just wanted to come and live in the I U.S. I get the calls like that too. But they created an entity. Can I come to the U.S.? I have a U.S. job offer. Can I come and live there? Well, is your job requiring you to be in the United States? No, no, it's fully remote. Yeah, that doesn't qualify. No. If the officer finds that out, they will not approve your visa. Right. And if they find out later on after you had an approved visa, they'll take it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but this this one, they, they wanted to create an entity in the U.S. The only purpose for it, is to employ this individual in the U.S. and then bill back the Canadian company. Well, there's no need for that person to be in the U.S. The U.S. company provided zero services in the United States. It was just a mechanism to let this person work in the U.S. That does not work. Yeah, it was a tax structure. Yes. Um, So uh, be careful in those situations. But in general, TN Visa allows you to travel as much as needed. It's multiple entry. Um. Support letter versus an offer letter. This is another one. What's the difference? Yeah, what's (laughs) the difference? And we see the most common, and this 
rightfully there's confusion here because if you do go to CBP's website, for example, and they even USCIS, it tells you you just need an offer letter to apply for a TN. Somewhat deceiving, in my opinion. Why? Because the typical offer letter does not include the necessary details for an officer to properly adjudicate an application. An offer letter. Have you ever seen an offer letter that has everything? No. I never have either. Never have. Um, And it's because it's an offer letter, it's not a support letter. And it's really a support letter is what you need to apply for a visa, not an offer letter. Why? Well, what's the difference? Well, an offer letter typically is addressed to an individual, which is a number one error. Uh, it's addressed to an individual. Christine, we're offering the position of associate at Richards and Jerusalem. You're going to be starting on, you know, August 1st, 2022. And we are offering you the salary of $10 an hour. That offer benefits. stinks. <laughs> <laughs> but you accept the offer, right? Yeah. No, I would not accept that offer. But... <laughs> <laughs> that's an offer letter, right? Your typical offer letter. It yeah, just gives, and it may give terms it, of the benefits and it may give terms of, you know, what you're going to be, it may lay out what you're doing. It may not lay out what you're doing. Of most of them don't well, even. Yeah, they just they don't have tell you the job there. title, the start date, the, you know, what you're going to get paid, what your benefits are going to be. There's a bunch of non-disclosure stuff in there and, you know, some other jargon that they need for, for their HR department, but it's not what you need to make a TN application. Support letter, on the other hand, the big difference, one of the main differences is it's specifically addressed to the border. It's not addressed to an individual. Uh, and the border wants to know that. They want to know that this employer, this U.S. US entity that's <clears throat> offering this position knows you need a TN right. and they're going to support you And that's that. what that, that demonstrates, right? Like, hey, they wrote a letter directed, addressed to me, so they know they're making an application here. You yes. show up with just an offer letter... Um, they don't know that your employer knows you're making an application for TN. They want to know that you they they are under that they are aware that you need a work visa, and so that requirement of addressing it to the border is important. And then mm-hmm. another thing that an, an offer letter doesn't have typically an offer letter doesn't have a start and end date. It might have a start date, but typically it doesn't have an end date because they don't know how long you're going to work for them. Typically, they give you an offer and they hope it's going to be long term, right? Maybe permanent, um, but there's no end date on. And that's where you run into a lot of issues with employers. Oh, this isn't a contract. That's making it a contract. No, um, they need to know how long to issue the visa for. That's why you need an end date. Um, duties, another one you raised. Most offer letters don't have specific de- detailed duties that they need in order to review to determine what your profession is. Right. Again, a title, when we talked to us previously, a title alone doesn't determine what your profession is. Your duties do, however. And even when it has duties, sometimes those duties are more like requirements yeah. for the job. It's more Plays like... Plays well with others, <laughs> right? Friendly. Those aren't, those aren't <laughs> job duties, right? Those are requirements. Yes. So you, they need those detailed duties so they can specifically identify what that profession is. Also, it must address a TN profession. It must indicate what profession you're applying under. And going back to our previous conversation about titles, not all job titles clearly match up with a TM profession. So that could be an issue as well. So those are those are the main differences. Um, also, 
the beneficiary's qualifications typically aren't in an offer letter either. They want to know how you qualify. And that support letter will also lay out how you qualify. Has a bachelor's degree in computer science. Therefore, qualifies for a computer systems analyst. Those details are all laid out clearly in a support letter addressed to CBP. And they can clearly review that letter and make a determination on your qualifications and issue a visa. Whereas an offer letter is deficient. I don't know how else to say it, but they are typically very deficient. And, and even worse, sometimes they contain information that can get you denied for a TN. Even though you're completely you qualified, qualified and yeah. the role qualifies, there could be information in there um, that would lead the officer down a line of questioning you may not want to go. Um, certain benefits, right? So certain benefits can even tip an officer off certain professions don't get benefits. Um, and you know, some of them, if they are missing benefits, they're going to wonder why. So that's not necessarily information you want the officer making a decision on. So you shouldn't present it in an offer letter. Yeah. And again, it doesn't mean you're not qualified, but the way it's presented in an offer letter may take you down a path that it would be very hard to turn around and right. recover from. Um, so make sure, and this goes back to, can you withdraw your application, right? Well, yeah. not if officer doesn't want to let you. And even if they do let you, again, you've created a record. And yeah. it, it's hard to correct a record sometimes. So be careful before you present anything at, uh, at a port of entry. Yeah, a um, well-prepared support letter is going to include all the information they need to know to make their decision and none of and the information they don't need to know. So a lot of times... Um, the value in hiring an attorney to do this isn't just in what's presented. It's in, you know, what isn't presented Yes, and not concealed, but not. And, then, and people give pushback on that all the time. That's a very good point. They say, well, why didn't you include this? Why didn't you include that? Why, do, why isn't there a whole page on how I'm amazing? Well, the officer <laughs> doesn't want to know how amazing right. you are, even though you might be. They just want to know how you qualify. Your bachelor's degree qualifies you, but all of that other stuff is irrelevant. We yeah. don't need to include that. Actually, it could it hurt could, your application. Right, could distract the officer from what, what role you're applying for if you've got qualifications that may lead to a different profession. Yeah, and, and it's funny. I just reviewed a, a support letter yesterday. Uh, a client paid, paid us to just do a review of the letter because it was drafted by another attorney. This letter is five pages long. Ooh, I don't know about you. Must be great. But <laughs> I don't like to read stuff uh, like this just for fun. Uh, it's not fun to read through a legal document or support letter or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'll tell you what, neither do border officers. <laughs> they, they don't want to sit there and read an essay um, they didn't sign to determine up, your qualifications. They didn't sign up to work at CBP so they could read some lawyer's dissertation on you and your profession. No. <laughs> not at all and and been there many times in person and seen what they do they'll do an eye roll and they're like oh my word and they'll and then they'll typically in those situations a lot of times they won't even read what it has to say because they don't want to and they'll just ask the person tons of questions right. to get the answers they want but our our typical support letter two pages or less why because it just gives the officer what they need to know to make the decision a b c d e approved that's it. We boil it down. Yeah. <laughs> and people give pushback on that. They, they wonder why. It's so it's simple. It's probably the same people that think they want to apply as the CFO. Yeah. So 
yeah, be careful. Support letter, offer letter, there is a difference, and it does make a big difference in as to whether or not you're going to get approved for a TN. Last question of the day. Can you get a TN visa if you are subject to the J-1 home residency requirement? And this doesn't just apply to TNs. It also applies to H-1B visas. So mm -hmm. we'll throw that in there too. Uh, so if you were in the United States and you received medical residency training and you have a two-year home residency requirement or you're in the United States under a J-1 exchange program that attaches a two-year foreign residency requirement to you, uh, the, J, the, the foreign residency requirement states that if you did come to the U.S. under one of those programs, prior to being issued a visa, and this is where it's important, prior to being issued a visa, you have to meet the two-year home residency requirement or get a waiver of the home residency requirement. Canadians are visa exempt. So if the status you're coming into the United States on, TN, H-1B, um, doesn't require a visa stamp in your passport, then you can still get the visa. And you can bypass that home residency requirement because you don't need a visa. Uh, a TN, and that's where it can get confusing, it's TN status, right? A, a, yeah, we, a Canadian we call it doesn't visa get a sometimes. visa stamp, whereas a Mexican does. So the same doesn't apply to a Mexican, right? A Mexican, they have to get a visa in their passport to get a TN visa. Canadian doesn't. You can just go to the border with the right documentation, support letter. Yeah, issue the experience. status and, and you travel on, status. on the status, right? So it's a loophole, <clears throat> so to speak, where you can bypass that home residency requirement because you don't need to be issued a visa. Same applies for an H-1B. H-1B gets it doesn't get adjudicated at the border. It gets approved ahead of time through U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. But then they issue an approval notice that you take to a port of entry. And then they stamp you and admit you. You don't have to go to a consulate or embassy and get an H-1B visa stamp in your passport. Actually, for a Canadian, they're not going to give it to you. They're going to just tell you to go straight to the border because mm -hmm. that's all you need. You don't need a visa for that. So, yes, you can still get a TN visa or an H-1B visa if you're subject to the home residency requirement. Um, it doesn't waive the home residency requirement. Right, so you're not going to be able to adjust status down the road or, or get your permanent residence you without completing it. You still have to it. get a waiver or meet that home residency requirement before you can do that later on down the road. But, yes, you can still get a TN or an H-1B visa if you're subject to the home residency requirement. So hopefully today's discussion was able to shed some more light on, on working and living in the U.S. and TN status and applying at the port of entry and what that looks like. Uh, it's a serious it's a serious undertaking. People take it for granted because as a Canadian or American, you show up to the border, it's typically a smile and wave procedure. But keep in mind when you make those applications that you're creating a permanent record. Uh, you're, you're dealing with crossing international boundaries where um, the different rules apply. And you need to be aware of that before you make your application for admission. Um, thank you for listening today. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe to our channel. Uh, hit the like button. Also look out uh, out there for our YouTube videos as well where there's a lot of information. And our website, uh, you can subscribe to our newsletter and there's weekly updates on there where we answer a lot of these questions on our website as well. Thank you for listening and have a great day.